me through it all. James chapter 1 and verse number 12. James 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Then turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. First Corinthians 10 and 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer or permit you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that he that ye may be able to bear it. And so today we're going to talk about a very important subject in this journey that, again, is supposed to be geared toward new converts, but it applies to all of us. We're, we're going to talk about the subject of temptation. Temptation. And um, I feel like the Lord wants to talk to us today. And so let's, let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask God for his help, and, and I'm asking that you'd pray for me today that God will give me the strength. Help me to deliver the burden of my heart. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, I think that every saint of God who's been living for God any real amount of time, this next statement is not going to come as a surprise to you. But I have found that sometimes it comes as a surprise to new converts. And, and that is that temptation is simply a fact of life. Now, the devil wants you to believe that um, you're, you're being tempted because there's something bad wrong with you. He wants you to believe that you're being tempted because you're backslid, you're away from God, you've, you've lost God's favor in your life, and that's why temptation is there. 
But I want you to understand before we really even get into this lesson today that the very fact that you're breathing tells me you're going to be tempted. It happens to everybody. Temptation comes, in fact, not just to the saint. Temptation comes to every human being. It is a part of the human condition. Psalm 51 and verse 5 Now, now listen to what the psalmist said. He said, from the very moment of conception, sin was present. Sin was there. It's, it's there. It's with us. It was handed to us from Adam. And it is something we just have to deal with. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 By one man, sin entered into the world, and this whole process has just been handed down from generation to generation to the point that every one of us are guilty. We're born guilty. That's the fact. We're just born guilty. We, we often use the term, you know, he's as innocent as a newborn baby. And I understand what you mean by that. But the fact is that even a newborn baby is born with the imprint of sin. It's there. It's present. It's real. Romans chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul, who we could very easily argue was one of the most spiritual men to ever live. And yet this was his own testimony. Romans 7, verses 22 and 23. I delight, in the law of God. I, delight, I delight in the law of God. My inward man loves what God loves. But, unfortunately, there's another law. Uh-huh. And, and this other law is constantly warring. It's bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This flesh has sin in it. And as much as my heart desires to do the will of God, my flesh wants to sin. It's in my DNA. It's there. It's a part of me. Now, I know some of you are so spiritual. Um, you've never faced a temptation and you've never... No, I, I know that's not the case. If the Apostle Paul can admit that there's a constant battle going on in my life, then that tells me that none of us are ever going to reach the place that there's not going to be a fight. It's, now, there's some things I don't fight. There's some things I don't struggle with. 
I don't struggle with whether to go get drunk on Saturday night. There's no fight for me. There's, there's no temptation there for me. I don't, I, don't, I don't struggle with whether to do drugs. I don't struggle with nicotine. That's not a problem for me. But that doesn't mean I don't have any temptation. The temptations that I face may be to be short-tempered with somebody. Oh, that got quiet. It might be to smart off to somebody. Allow my frustrations to get the upper hand and not treat someone a Christian way. But there are temptations that I have to battle because I'm human. And there are temptations you have to battle because you are human. From the earliest stages of our earthly existence, temptation is ever present with us. That's why a wise parent will from time to time apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. That's why there will be discipline because that little child, as beautiful and as lovely and as sweet and as precious as they are, they're going to want to lie, they're going to want to steal, they're going to want to look at you and say no. It's in our human nature. And it doesn't stop just because you receive the Holy Ghost. In fact, I would offer to you that in some ways I think temptation becomes more severe after you receive the Holy Ghost because prior to receiving it, the devil has you where he wants you. But after you receive the Holy Ghost, he's trying to drag you back. <clears throat> he's trying to drag you back under his dominion. He doesn't like the fact that he lost you. And he wants you back. As long as you're his, he doesn't care. Now, still, temptation's going to be there. But I'm just telling you that I think that the war becomes much more intense once you come into the kingdom of God because all of a sudden there is a desire that's placed in you by the Spirit of God to go against what your flesh wants. And the flesh doesn't like that one iota. As you learn to crucify your flesh, I'm telling you, your carnal nature will fight against that process. And that's something it's never had to do before the new birth. Your carnality never faced the prospect of crucifixion. You just gave in. Your flesh wanted something, you did it. By and large, 
some restrictions apply. <laughs> Sometimes laws kept you from doing things that you, your flesh wanted you to do. Well, that's right. You know, the reason why sometimes we see all this looting going on is because people know they can do it with immunity. They know that, that the, the police know we're around. Somebody's already busted the window. The alarms are already going off, and people by the dozens are taking out what they want. So other people just join in and get what they want. And, and the law no longer. But, but as long as they think there is a chance of suffering the consequences of law, the law does prohibit them. That's why it is the most ridiculous thing for people to say, you can't legislate morality. Well, of course you can. That's what every law is about. It's about legislating morality. It's about telling you this is wrong. You do this, you pay the price. And, and what a lot of people don't understand Help me, Jesus. What a lot of people don't understand is that God is a God of law. I know, I know what I know what the Christian world wants. Everyone, no, no, the law's done away with. Calvary did away with the law. No, to say that would be to say that Calvary did away with God, because God Himself is a God of law. The first thing he did when he brought his people out of Egypt, the first thing he did to establish them as his people was to give them law. Number one, top priority. And furthermore, if you really understand the new covenant, the new covenant was not to do away with law. It was not to do away with law. That is an absolute misconstruction of Scripture. The new covenant did not do away with law. Go back and study it. God said, I'm going to write a new covenant, but it's not going to be written on tables of stone. It's going to be written on the tables of your heart, but there's still a law. The law didn't cease to exist it just changed locations. And he's still very much a God of law. Very much a God of law. And your flesh doesn't like law because law restricts the flesh. And so your flesh is going to fight against it and fight against it and fight against it and that's why I say from the moment you're born again, you can kind of expect that temptation is probably going to be more severe or at least more noticeable, if not more severe. After you come into the kingdom, you're going to be much more aware of temptation. Can I say it that way? Much more aware of temptation after the new birth than you ever have been before. Because now you have to deal with it. You've got to do something about it. Or you should. Now, another thing that you need to know 
is that temptation itself is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Now again, this is one of the things that the devil tries to put in people's minds. You feel this temptation to do something, the devil says, oh, shame on you. I mean, he really sets you up. He tempts you to do it and then shames you for feeling tempted. This is the way it works, but listen to me. Temptation is not a sin. I'm going to prove that to you in just a moment. But it's important that you get a hold of this basic truth because otherwise the devil will keep you living under a cloud of guilt and condemnation. If you can ever get the revelation that just because I'm tempted doesn't mean I've sinned, then you can live a life of freedom. Every Christian is tempted in some way or another. It's just a fact of life. And once you understand that temptation is common, in fact, every temptation is common to somebody somewhere. Let's read again from our text, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Listen to what Paul said, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 13. There is, now listen to this, there is no temptation that's taken you except what's common. Do, do you see that? Hang on. Do you see that? Do you see that in the scripture? That every temptation you face, it's common. Somebody else faces the same temptation. Somebody else has the same struggle you've got. You're not alone in this. You are not the only individual who's feeling these desires. Somebody else is going through this. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. Now, we'll talk about the rest of that verse later on, but, but it's important that you understand that it's common. It's just common. In fact, let me tell you, and this may come as a surprise to some new converts, should not come as a surprise as a surprise to the rest of us, but to some new converts, you may be surprised to learn that Jesus himself was tempted. Read for me Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 18. For he, that he himself, he himself hath, suffered hath suffered being, being what? Tempted. Being what? Tempted. Jesus was tempted. Read. Now, here's what, here's what the, the writer of Hebrews is telling us. The reason why the Lord can sustain us in temptation is because he went through it. He felt it too. He knows what that feeling is like. He's been there. 
He's gone through it. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Now, now there's a lot of a lot of negative in this, so to, to to get to the to the point, to the positive side of the way that this is stated, we 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 do not have a high priest who cannot be touched. So the positive, it's it's a double negative. The the positive is this we do have a high priest who can be touched. With the feeling of our infirmities. Why? Why can he be touched with the feeling of our infirmities? What's the rest of that verse say? That's why he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Because in, in how many points? In how many points? In all points. He was tempted like as we are. Do you hear me? Whatever temptation you have faced, he has faced something similar. He was tempted like we are. He felt the same natural cravings, the same human desires in every point of our temptation. He has felt a similar temptation. And that's why he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's felt it. He knows. This is not theory for him. Are you hearing me today? This is not theory for him. This is not just something stated in a book somewhere. This is something he experienced as a man. He walked through this. He felt this. He dealt with it. He fought it. He battled it. And listen, this verse alone proves that temptation is not a sin. He was tempted yet without sin. If temptation was a sin, then we couldn't say that. But the Bible's clear. Yes, he was tempted, but no, he didn't sin. So there is a difference between temptation and sin. So what is temptation? Well, Webster's defines temptation as enticement to evil, whether by arguments, flattery, or the offer of some real or apparent good. It is the solicitation of the passions, enticements to evil proceeding from the prospect of, please, of pleasure or advantage. You got that. It is this desire to do wrong because you feel like you're going to gain something from it. Right? I mean, that's what temptation is. You're going to get something out of this. There's some benefit to you. 
You steal this item, you're going to benefit from owning it. You harm this individual, you're going to feel better about putting them down. Whatever it is, there, there is some reward to you, at least in your mind. And that's why temptation is present. It's not just that you see that this can be done, but the desire is there because you believe you can benefit from it. It's going to bring you happiness. It's going to bring you pleasure. It's going to make you feel good. And that's why you're tempted. Now, James put it this way. James chapter 1 and verse number 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, this is the reason why I said there are some things that, that don't tempt me. I have no desire for alcohol. The, the desire is just not there. So there's, there's no craving. There's no lust, if you please, for drunkenness. So I can't be enticed with that. You know, somebody can set out an ice-cold six-pack of whatever liquor, and it's, it's not going to bother me. I'm not going to sit there and struggle, oh, man, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. Come on, you, come on, you can make it. You, it there's no problem. You understand? There, there is no temptation there because my flesh does not crave that. And, and so temptation comes to you because this is something your flesh wants. It's something your flesh desires. That's why you're tempted. And that's what temptation is. It is this desire to do wrong that comes from within your carnality. So, for all of Webster's expanded definition, I think we can say very simply that temptation is your carnal desire compelling you to do wrong. That's what temptation is. It's a carnal desire that compels you to do wrong. Now, listen to me. As I said, we're all going to fight this battle. Every one of us are going to have our temptations. We're going to have things that our flesh wants because we're convinced it's going to make us happier or better or bring joy, or bring fulfillment, or whatever. Our flesh craves these things, and this battle is going to rage from now until we draw our final breath. Um, but let me tell you something. When you really boil it all down, when you really 
bring it all down to the nitty-gritty. This war against temptation is either won or lost on the battleground of your mind. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says this, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I want to tell you that whatever you dwell on, you will eventually do. You sit and think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. At some point, you'll give in to it. That's why the old timers used to say, now this is not in the Bible, but the old timers used to say, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And it's not Bible, but maybe it ought to be. <laughs> because it's true. When somebody has nothing to do, your mind is going to go to the wrong places. It's a fact. And you're going to sit and think about those wrong things. And I'm telling you, people have created monsters in their minds. They've turned the sweetest people into tyrants because they had nothing better to do than sit and think and pick apart every little word and every little syllable and, and build a case in their mind as though they're going before the judge and they've got it all worked out. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I, you walk up and start to talk to somebody about something and all of a sudden the floodgates open, boom, and there's this barrage. I mean, they've, They've got it all laid out. They've figured it out. They haven't listened to any opposing arguments because the mind doesn't tend to do that. The mind tends to see things from one side or another. And, 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 and look, this is not in my notes. And I'm, I, I don't, I've got way way too much to cover to, to get sidetracked here but but it's a dangerous thing to simply make up your mind and not be willing to hear the other side of an argument it, it's it's The Bible, the Bible says, um, this, is, this is not in my notes, but if you'll get for me, Brother Larson, get for me the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 18 and verse 13. Proverbs 18 and 13, this is a powerful verse of Scripture. And, and it's, it's important that, that you understand this. And 
this is not even in my notes. I don't even, I'm here, so I won't apologize. But Proverbs 18, verse 13. He, now listen to this. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it. Read. It is folly and shame unto him. It's folly and shame unto him. To make up your mind before you've heard the matter fully, that's a shame. But boy, we are quick to do that. I'm telling you, we hear one side. Our friend tells us one side, and we just jump on that bandwagon. We believe it, no questions asked. Come on, you know I'm telling you the truth. Because our friend said it. I, I like what I, I heard a man say. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and a, and a man made a statement. Was it yesterday? I don't know what day it was. My days are running together. Um, it gets worse as you get older. But, but, but I was listening sometime recently, and, and the man made a statement. He, he, said, he said, you know, I got this from a reputable source. And he said, I choose the word reputable and not reliable because the, the material is only as reliable as... As, as wherever the source got his source. And, and if you think about it, in other words, I trust the man that told me, but I don't know where he got it. And I may not trust who told him. You understand? So this man is reputable himself, but I don't know what his source is. So I'm not going to say this is a reliable source, because he may not be the original source. Everybody understand? I think that's a wise way to approach things. There are, there are, there is always more than one side to every story. There is your side, their side, and God's side. And God sees sides that we don't see. And, and we need to understand, we need to understand before we jump on some side in a matter. That we need to hear it out. Now, I don't know how I got into that. We're talking about temptation, but maybe you're tempted to believe the worst about somebody. Maybe that's your temptation you're dealing with, so maybe I'm not too far off the subject today. Praise God. Um, but but don't, don't fall into that trap. Even the most well-meaning of individuals, can have an agenda. And they can choose what true facts they share. That can taint the picture. I may not be doing it intentionally, honestly. It may be that those are the only facts that mattered to them, and so they didn't Pay attention to the others. So they may not be willingly trying to deceive you, but it just may be that there are certain facts that didn't stand out to them, and so they didn't make note of those facts, but those facts could change the whole picture. 
Well, so don't, don't answer a matter before you hear it. You've got your mind made up. This is what's right. This is what's right. You're wrong. Why don't you hear the other side? Give it some consideration and see if there's a possibility. I know that you're rarely ever, ever wrong. I know that your, your aptitude for accuracy is virtually 100%. But I would remind you that the word virtually means not in fact. So there's still that possibility that you might possibly have it wrong. Let's give some consideration. So let me, let me get back onto the subject. But as he thinketh, that's where we were, Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. My point is this, that whatever you dwell on, that's what you're going to become. And you're going to convince yourself of these things as you think more and more and more about them. You're going to follow down that pathway. Because that's where your mind's going to take you. And you're going to win or lose the war of temptation in your mind. Ralph Waldo Emerson made a statement that I think is worth repeating. He said, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. Now, did you get that? Let me read it to you one more time. Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an action, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. Therefore, we can say, you become what you think. You become what you think. You will Take on the characteristics you allow your mind to dwell on. That's why the Apostle Paul gives us this command in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Casting down imaginations. Now, now listen to what he says and, and get the picture, church. Do you know what it means to cast something down? That's not passive. Casting it down is not the same as dropping it. You know, I've held things in my hands and dozed off and dropped it. It was a passive act. It wasn't something I intended to do. But you don't cast it down passively. This is an action you have to take. And the apostle says, let me tell you, when you're dealing with the battle of your mind, there are some things you just have to cast them down. 
You've got to take action and throw that thought away. I'm not going to think that. I refuse to think that. I refuse to let my mind be consumed with this. I am getting rid of this thought right here, right now. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, now let's talk about that for a minute. What do we know about God? What do we know about him? What is his premier characteristic? His holiness. Above all else, God is holy. Now, the Apostle Paul says, any imagination that comes against the knowledge of God's holiness. Are you seeing what he's saying here? When you understand that God is a holy God, any thought that comes into your mind that's contrary to that, throw it down. Throw it down. Don't sit and think about it. Don't sit and dwell on it. You throw it down. And you do it immediately. And you do it quickly. And you do it forcibly. And then what do you do? Bringing into captivity. Again, this is a willful action. This is not passive. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience to the obedience. You make every thought obey Christ. When that thought comes in your mind, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to do this. I don't want to pray. I don't want to fast. I don't want, I don't want, I don't. you bring those thoughts into captivity. You take them captive. And you say, oh no mind, you're not thinking this way. You're not going to, these thoughts are not running wild in my brain. They will only bring destruction. I'm going to make every thought obey Christ. Look, let's just, let's just be honest. I, and, and, and we've got some young people in here, so I want to walk delicately and carefully. But, but let's be honest. In today's society, so many, especially young men, but even young ladies nowadays, have to deal with pornography. And they've been introduced to it. And it's, 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 it's something they've seen. And I'm telling you, there are images that are burned into minds. They're there. In fact, I've, I've, I've read studies, and they say there are literally chemicals that are released in the brain during the viewing of pornography that that physically burn those images into their minds. They lock them there. It's, it's forever sealed. 
And I'm telling you, at inopportune moments, those thoughts, those images come back. You know what you've got to do? You've got to cast it down. You've got to bring it into obedience. I'm not going to think about this. I'm going to think about something else. In fact, bring it to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to tell you, the best thing you can do is when those images come up, you start thinking about him hanging on the cross. You start thinking about his back being laid open because of the very sin you're pondering right now. You make your mind go somewhere else. You pick up your Bible. You start reading. You open an app on your phone and start listening to Scripture. You do something that forces your thoughts somewhere else. That's how you bring those thoughts into captivity. And listen, it doesn't have to just be pornography. Some of you have got tempers that really need some work. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. You've got a really short fuse that just, you can explode on a moment's notice and take out your frustration. I'm going to tell you, when you start feeling that build, you know what you've got to do. I hope you're listening to me today. You don't just give in to it. You take action. You need to see those thoughts like a sniper. Really. See it as a spiritual sniper that's got you in his sights and he's drawing a bead on you right now. What are you going to do? Stand there and let it happen? Now you got to take action. You got to do something. You got to do something. You got to cast down those imaginations. You've got to bring your thoughts into captivity. And let me tell you something. This will work. You know how I know? Look, look, look at the reference. Everybody see what the reference is here? This is 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. Do you know what comes before verse 5? Yeah, that didn't take a lot of intelligence, did it? What comes before verse 5 is verse 4. And you know what verse 4 says? Listen to what verse 4 says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's verse 4. These are the weapons of our warfare. What's the weapons of our warfare? Casting down imaginations, bringing thoughts into captivity. That's the weapons of our warfare. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. I know I'm just doing some down-to-earth Bible teaching, but I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Those are the weapons of our warfare. When your mind starts going down paths it should not go, you've got weapons that are mighty. And these weapons are 
bringing your thoughts into captivity, taking control of the path your mind is trying to walk down, putting up roadblocks to keep it from jumping off of that cliff. So this is why the scripture is, is constantly dealing with our mind. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. What does it say? Be not conformed to this world. Now isn't this interesting? You want to know how we're going to keep from being conformed to the world? By being transformed where? By the renewing of your mind. We got to get our minds transformed. We don't want to be like the world. Listen to me. If, if you don't want to be like the world, you've got to have a transformation in your mind. You've got to think differently. People say, well, I just don't understand this, and I don't understand that, and I don't understand. No, no. Of course you don't. But that's why you've got to have a transformed mind. And every time you say, I don't understand, what you're saying is my mind has not yet been transformed. I'm still thinking with my carnal mind. Well, it's good preaching anyhow. And it's 100% accurate. When, when, we, when we are complaining, we don't understand, we don't understand, we don't understand. Your mind has not been transformed. And that's what you need to be asking God to do is to transform your mind. God, I want to understand. Instead of making all of your arguments why you don't understand, you need to simply ask God to help you understand. Because he will. He really will. He wants you to understand. But, but we talked about this in previous lessons. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It, it, it fights God. It's the enemy of God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be, Paul said. Not even possible for your carnal mind to obey God. It's not possible. So your mind's got to be transformed. You've got to have a new mind. The old one just will not submit to God. It will not. So you got to have a new one. You need a, you need a mind transplant. That's right. That's well, praise God. We've got to get a hold of our thoughts. Let, let, me, let me just, I'm trying to give you some practical help this morning. Because we all are going to deal with temptation. I'm trying to help you know what to do when it comes. Let me give you a scripture that is going to be invaluable. And, and if, you're, if you're an established saint and you're not using this scripture, you need to make it part of your um, armory. I start to say repertoire, but that wouldn't be right. Uh, part of your armory. Psalm 19, verse 14. Psalm 19, verse 14 says this. Let the words of my mouth, the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth, but not just the words of my mouth. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, help me that the things I think about are things that please you. Help me to quit thinking about things that are displeasing to you. Give me the guidance that I need in my heart so that my thoughts go down a path that will lead me in your ways. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Because again, in its most basic and fundamental sense, temptation begins with a thought. It begins with a thought. And by means of that thought, a certain course of action is suggested. You think about something, and then you start figuring out how to do it. And so really, every sin can be traced back to the root of some evil thought. And, 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 and listen, let me, let, me just, let me just tell you this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make this statement. But, but, but let me tell you this. Really, most sin, most sin can be traced back. To pride. Do I need to say that again? Most sin can be traced back to pride. It's what you want, your way, your idea, your will. That's what creates the temptation. There's an interesting verse of scripture here, Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 23. Colossians 2 and 23 says, which things indeed uh, a show of wisdom. Now listen to this, this interesting term here. In will worship. In will worship. Everyone say will worship. Now that, that's, a, well, that's a strange term. Um, first time I really noticed that, it, it just jumped out at me, and I thought, what in the world is will worship? What, what does this mean? When I got to looking at, at the original, Thayer's Greek lexicon says that will worship means, now, now listen to this, it means worship which one prescribes and devises for himself contrary to the contents and nature of faith which ought to be directed to Christ. 
In other words, worshiping God according to the dictates of your desires, your flesh, as opposed to what the Word and the Spirit tell us. Well, this is the way I want to do it. I don't want to do it that way, and God will just accept me the way I am. Ask Cain how, that, how well that works. Go back and ask him how well that worked. I think if, if ever there was a picture of will worship, it was Cain. Cain just said, I'm going to give God what I want to give him. God will just accept it. And God said, oh, no, I won't. God doesn't have to accept just anything we offer. In fact, go back and read again. Read the Old Testament prophets. Read, read Haggai and, 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 and find out where he stands up and says, what do you mean bringing the lame and the, and the blind and the, and the maimed to God to offer for sacrifice? Try offering that to your governor and see what he thinks. He said, if, if, if you're not going to offer something like this to a governor, why in this world would you dare offer it to God? Why do you think God ought to just accept whatever you want to give? This, this really, let me just be honest with you, and I didn't intend to go this deep or this, um, be this, I don't know, confrontational is the word, but, 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 but really it's, it's idolatry. You've made yourself higher than God. What I want and what makes me happy is more important than any scripture you can show me. It's more important than anything that the word of God says, it's more important. This is what I want. This is what makes me happy. Therefore, God must accept this. That's idolatry. God has to submit to you. I, 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 Lord, help me. This is not where I intended to go. Um. But look, this is why, and, and I've, I've got, my time's nearly up, and I'm about to start into a new area here, so I probably would be best to just end it here, and let's have a time of prayer. Um, I did make it through three full pages of notes, though, thank God, so that's, that's, um, that's a fourth. Hey, it's better than I've done some Sundays where I only got to one scripture, right? Um, but, but I say all that to just to reiterate the point to you that, that there's going to be this constant struggle between the spirit and the flesh. And that struggle is manifested through temptation. When you feel tempted, recognize it for what it is. It's the sign of war. My flesh is fighting the spirit. And then decide who's going to win. The flesh or the spirit. Who do I want to win? What do I want to be the dominant factor of my life? My flesh or the spirit of God that's dwelling within me? 
if I want the spirit to be dominant, then I'm going to have to deal with my flesh. I'm going to have to crucify my flesh. I'm going to have to deny my flesh. I'm going to have to do things my flesh does not want to do or refrain from things my flesh does want to do. But it's going to be a constant war. But it will be worth it all. Because let me tell you that while there will always be temptations, it won't always be the same temptations. And you really can overcome some things and get victory over some things. The devil will find some other way to attack. But you don't have to keep fighting the same battle all your life. You know, a person who maybe alcohol is their struggle. They don't have to struggle with it. That's why I don't like these 12-step programs. Because, because at their root, here's what they teach. You are an alcoholic. You will always be an alcoholic. I don't like that. They're taught to say, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I don't like that. I prefer when somebody says, I am a delivered former alcoholic. God set me free from that. I'm not tempted to do that anymore. It's not a struggle for me anymore. I've been delivered from nicotine. I've been delivered from drugs. Those things do not tempt me anymore. I've been delivered from pornography. I've been delivered. You can get victory over these areas. It doesn't have to be a lifelong struggle. There will be struggles lifelong. Do you understand the difference? But it doesn't have to be the same struggle throughout life. You can get victory over things. And here's the encouraging thing. Once you get victory over one thing, it'll boost your faith to get victory over the next. If God delivered me from that, he can deliver me from this. And if he delivers me from this, he can deliver me from the next one. And if he delivers me from the next one, he can deliver me from this day forward. God will make a way to escape. Because that's who he is. That's what he is. He is a way maker. He is a chain breaker. Come on, somebody. God will deliver us. He wants to give us victory. He wants to bring deliverance. He wants to set us free. He doesn't want us living bound. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand this morning. I'm telling you, there is hope in the time of temptation. There is hope in the time of temptation. You don't have to to live a life of defeat. 
There's victory. There's victory in Jesus. There's power in the blood. Hallelujah. He can transform you. He can make you a new creature. The things I once loved, I now hate. And the things I once hated, I now love. Old things are passed away, the apostle said. Behold, all things are become new. That's what God wants to do in every one of our lives. We can live a life of victory through the power of the Spirit. Let's lift our hands and love Him right now.